part two of chapter one of my days and dreams by edward carpenter this librivox recording is in the public domain i don't know how the lycees are now but at that time the school methods were only poor the boys sat an outrageously long time at their desks ten hours a day or more either construing or preparing lessons but got through very little work spending most of their time in furtive games or conversations with each other everything was done in set and military style marchings along corridors from classroom to classroom or from classroom to refectory or from refectory to playground in the latter a master always called peon was present to see that there was no bullying or to disperse knots of boys who might of course be talking sedition or to prevent individuals approaching the playground wall within a set distance lest they should escape the games were limited and regulated everything was regulated it was said that the minister of education at paris could at any hour of the day place his finger on the line of virgil that was being translated or the proposition of geometry that was being proved at that moment in all the lycees alike over the face of the land one very curious custom prevailed which has probably now gone out of date but which had a strong suggestion about it of the church system of indulgences at the end of the week the marks gained by each boy during the week were added up and announced by the master then those boys who were credited with more than a certain number of marks were told they might write out for themselves a certificate of satisfaction good for exemption from one two or even three hours punishment according to circumstances great excitement prevailed you cut yourself a neat square of paper adorned it with lines and flourishes and inscribed on it témoignage de satisfaction élève carpenter bon à une heure and left a space at foot for the signature of the master when signed you treasured this up in your desk and at some later date when the hour of punishment came produced it and unless your crime was very heinous were duly let off it was a curious arrangement but one which had perhaps the advantage of discouraging a boy from being too good since obviously it would be a mistake to collect a greater number of such tickets than you were likely to make use of my brother and i as day boys escaped a good deal of the general school routine and regulation and on the whole had not a bad time the boys received us decently and as we could play leapfrog or prisoner's base as well as any of them paid us due respect and one of the masters Landay by name was quite kind and thoughtful towards me out of hours we careered through the woods of satori 
watching military evolutions on the plain above or at dusk chased and caught the great stag beetles a thrilling joy we wandered through the huge statue adorned park and the shady bouquets of diamond necklace celebrity and learned swimming as did my sisters in the fine open-air swimming bath which used to be the bath of the pages of louis the fourteenth's court after a year thus spent the family returned to england and we boys to the brighton college as i say it is probably a common experience that mere school teaching does not leave a very deep impression probably a good deal really is learned but these are the more indirect things which slip into the background or foundation of the mind and character and so pass comparatively unobserved only three or four subjects of interest stand out in my memory as belonging to my school days and these all lay outside school proper the earliest of these was music at the age of ten i desired mightily to learn the piano but music was not considered appropriate for a boy besides there were six sisters who had to be taught poor things whether they liked it or not and so my appearance on the music stool was treated rather as an intrusion and i was generally hustled off again forthwith however i got my way by playing late of an evening when they were all upstairs in the drawing-room i never had any regular teaching but my mother took pity on me and taught me my notes and from that time i stumbled through the marche de coat and the nun's prayer till at last i emerged on the far borderland of beethoven's sonatas this hour of piano practice to myself was for a long time one of the chief events of my day indeed it is curious but i took to composing or attempting to compose music before i ever thought of composing or attempting to compose poetry of course with a juvenile mind and no musical training or even a particularly keen ear my compositions were of no value and i hardly ever troubled to write them out still the habit of making up pianoforte pieces and the love of doing so continued all my life and forced its way out from time to time it is only in quite late years that with more technical knowledge i have written some of these down perhaps twelve or twenty in all and even occasionally thought of printing them i was also fortunate enough when i was about fifteen to come in for the reversion of a cupboard full of chemical apparatus which had belonged to my eldest brother and here in a little room with retorts and test-tubes i spent many a half-holiday carrying out important experiments and prosecuting valuable inventions which ended almost invariably in bad smells and worse headaches perpetual motion as usual in such cases was one of my chief objects and i could not for the life of me tell why 
a solid cylinder of wood placed with its axis horizontal in the side of a box containing water and so carefully fitted that it would turn on its axis without allowing the water to run out would not revolve perpetually seeing indeed that the one half of it which was in the water being lighter than water would continually tend to rise and the other half of it which was in the air would continually tend to fall i invented an arrangement for the pianoforte after the morse telegraphic system by which extemporaneous effusions could be written down in the act of playing an invention which luckily has not been generally adopted and was engaged on various other little patents at different times sometimes i gave a lecture though it must be confessed that it was with difficulty that any of the household could be induced to attend the lecture was small but the danger from explosions and horrible smells was great my remarks were not very lucid or explanatory but consisted mainly of expressions like now i will show you something else or you needn't be frightened there is no danger these investigations were however very absorbing and excited far more interest in my mind than anything i learned at school and i remember that they led me to think quite seriously about being a doctor i suppose from some vague notion about the connection between chemicals and medicine a profession which my father was inclined to recommend to me and which i have sometimes regretted that i did not adopt towards the latter part of my time at brighton the natural empochement of youth led me often to seek consolation and an escape from the wounds of daily life in intercourse with nature the brighton social life with its greetings where no kindness is was to me chilly in the extreme and i often used in later years to feel that i caught cold morally speaking whenever i returned to it the scenery and surroundings of brighton are also bare and chilly enough and trees whose friendly covert i have always loved do not exist there but the place has two nature elements in it and these two singularly wild and untampered the sea and the downs we lived within two hundred yards of the sea and its voice was in our ears night and day on terrific stormy nights it was a grisly joy to go down to the water's edge at ten or eleven p m pitchy darkness feeling one's way with feet or hands over the stony beach hardly able to stand for the wind and to watch the white breakers suddenly leap out of the gulf close upon one the scream of the maddened beach dragged down by the wave the booming of the wind like distant guns and the occasional light of some vessel laboring for its life in the surge but the downs were my favorite refuge on sunny days i would wander on over them for miles not knowing very clearly where i was going in a strange broody moony state glad to find some hollow like that described in jeffrey's story of my heart 
where one could lie secluded for any length of time and see only the clouds and the grasses and an occasional butterfly or hear the distant bark of a dog or the far rumble of a railway train the downs twined themselves with all my thought and speculations of that time their chaste subdued gracious outlines and quiet color have a peculiar charm their strongest line is generally some white edge of cliffs or curve of the shore itself their deepest tint the blue of the sea or occasionally a field of red clover or one overgrown with charlock for the rest they wear the faint blue-green color of thin turf through which the chalk almost shows over the velvety sward and among the fine herbage cropped by plentiful sheep run innumerable tiny flowers dwarfed by salt wind and scanty soil thistles whose chins rest on the ground out of which they grow patches of sweet thyme which the wild bees love of pink centauri and thrift and madder and dwarf broom and that sweet yellow lotus or bird's foot trefoil which runs all over the world in siberia and alps and himalayas the same one of the commonest and friendliest of all the flowers that grow overhead the lark sings the clouds drift through the untampered blue the bee and the butterfly sweep past on the breeze three or four miles from brighton and one is in a world remote from man except an occasional shepherd there is hardly a human to be seen here and there in the hollow nestles the tiniest hamlet an old farmhouse one or two cottages a dwarf church faced with rough work of flints a few trees and a well taking its character from the sky as all chalk and limestone countries largely do this land has an ethereal beauty in summer weather but on wintry and gray days it is monotonous and sad the shepherd then huddles himself in his cloak in the lee of the gorse bush the cloudy rack drives over the backs of his sheep line behind line the down stretch colorless unbroken by any hint of tree or habitation the wind whistles among the thin grass stems with a peculiar shrill and mournful pipe and in its pauses the sullen and distant roar of the sea is heard how can i describe how shall i not recall the thoughts which came to me as i wandered toward the close of my school time over these same hills the brooding ill-defined half-shapen thoughts the downs were my escape even in their most chill and lonely moods they were my escape from a worse coldness and loneliness which except for a few boyfriends at school i somehow experienced during all that time nature was more to me i believe than any human attachment and the downs were my nature it was among them at a later time that i first began to write a few verses but at the time i mention until quite the end of my school days i never wrote anything at all if the thought of writing had occurred to me i should have deemed it in my then state of mind monstrous presumption 
but i doubt whether the thought ever did occur to me i did not even read poetry mozart and beethoven were familiar to me but i must have been eighteen years old before i was roused to any interest in tennyson the poet of the day by a lecture at school on in memoriam after that i read in memoriam and loved it well this was followed at cambridge by wordsworth and then by shelley who excited in me the same passionate attachment that he has excited in so many others after that whitman dominated me i do not think any others of the poets unless plato should bear that name have deeply influenced me as to friends that absorbing subject i can trace the desire for a passionate attachment in my earliest boyhood but the desire had no expression no chance of expression such things as affection were never spoken about either at home or at school and i naturally concluded that there was no room for them in the scheme of creation the glutinous boy friendships that one formed in classroom or playground were of the usual type they staved off a greater hunger but they did not satisfy on the other hand i worshipped the very ground on which some generally elder boys stood they were heroes for whom i would have done anything i dreamed about them at night absorbed them with my eyes in the day watched them at cricket loved to press against them unnoticed in a football melee or even to get accidentally hurt by one of them at hockey was glad if they just spoke to me or smiled but never got a word further with it all what could i say even to one of the masters i remember who was a little kind to me i felt this unworded devotion but he never helped me over the stile and so i remained on the further side i often think what a fund of romance and of intense feeling there is in this direction latent in so many boys and capable even of heroic expression and how much will have to be done some day in the matter of directing and of giving a constructive outlet to it already however there is a great difference in the tone of the public schools themselves on this subject from what there was twenty-five or thirty years ago the trouble in schools from bad sexual habits and frivolities arises greatly though of course not altogether from the suppression and misdirection of the natural emotions of boy attachment i as a day-boy and one who happened to be rather pure-minded than otherwise grew up quite free from these evils though possibly it would have been a good thing if i had had a little more experience of them than i had as it was no elder person ever spoke to me about sexual matters no mother father brother monitor or master ever said a word i picked up the usual information from the talk of my companions and made up my own mind unbiased by any person or book i suppose it was in consequence of this 
that i never saw anything repellent or shameful in sexual acts themselves from the earliest time when i thought about these things they seemed to me natural like digestion or any other function and i remember wondering why people made such a fuss about the mention of them why they told lies rather than speak the truth why they were shocked or why they giggled and stuffed handkerchiefs in their mouths it was not till at the age of twenty-five i read whitman and then with a great leap of joy that i met with the treatment of sex which accorded with my own sentiments nevertheless though these desires were never to me unclean yet during all that time of later boyhood and early university life they were strangely discounted by that other desire of the heart i could not think much of sex while the hunger of the heart was unsatisfied and that for the time being occupied all the foreground of my life indeed at times it threatened to paralyze my mental and physical faculties it was like an open wound continually bleeding i felt starved and unfed and unable to rest in the chilling contacts of ordinary life as to the usual attraction set before the eyes of middle-class youth the hopeless helpless young ladyisms or the bolder beauties of the gutter they were both a detestable boredom to me for indeed the life and with it the character of the ordinary young lady of that period and of the sixties generally was tragic in its emptiness the little household duties for women encouraged in an earlier and simpler age had now gone out of date while the modern idea of work in the great world was not so much as thought of in a place like brighton there were hundreds perhaps of households in which girls were growing up with but one idea in life that of taking their proper place in society a few meagre accomplishments plentiful balls and dinner parties theatres and concerts and to loaf up and down the parade criticizing each other were the means to bring about this desirable result there was absolutely nothing else to do or live for it is curious but it shows the state of public opinion of that time to think that my father who was certainly quite advanced in his ideas never for a moment contemplated that any of his daughters should learn professional work with a view to their living and that in consequence he more than once drove himself quite ill with worry occasionally it happened that after a restless night of anxiety over some failure among his investments and of dread lest he should not be able at his death to leave the girls a competent income he would come down to breakfast looking a picture of misery after a time he would break out ruin impended over the family securities were falling dividends disappearing there was only one conclusion the girls would have to go out as governesses 
then silence and gloom would descend on the household it was true that was the only resource there was only one profession possible for a middle-class woman to be a governess and to adopt that was to become a pariah but in a little time affairs would brighten up again stocks went up the domestic panic subsided and dinner parties and balls were resumed as usual as time went by and i gradually got to know what life really meant and to realize the situation it used to make me intensely miserable to return home and see what was going on there my parents of course were fully occupied but for the rest there were six or seven servants in the house and my six sisters had absolutely nothing to do except dabble in paints and music as aforesaid and wander aimlessly from room to room to see if by any chance anything was going on dusting cooking sewing darning all light household duties were already forestalled there was no private garden and if there had been it would have been unladylike to do anything in it every girl could not find an absorbing interest in sole fa or watercolors athletics were not invented every aspiration and outlet except in the direction of dress and dancing was blocked and marriage with the growing scarcity of men was becoming every day less likely or easy to compass more than once girls of whom i least expected it told me that their lives were miserable with nothing on earth to do multiply this picture by thousands and hundreds of thousands all over the country and it is easy to see how when the causes of the misery were understood it led to the powerful growth of the modern women's movement during my school days however this tragedy had so far as our household was concerned hardly developed itself or at any rate become at all serious and a charming recollection of that period is that of my companionship with two of my elder sisters with one of these my sister ellen afterwards mrs hyatt i used to go for long country walks she had an eye for landscape and animal painting and sometimes brought her sketchbook with her occasionally on hired hacks we rode together over the downs her mind had an adventurous outdoor quality about it and our conversation turned mainly on what we saw in our explorations and on speculations about foreign lands the other sister lizzie afterwards lady daubenet was never much of a walker but she stayed at home and played beethoven's sonatas and these were a continual delight to me i stood quietly by and turned over the pages by the hour the sonata appassionata was a dream of wonder this sister had a highly poetic sensitive temperament when the younger ones of the family were children she told us absorbing fairy tales at the time i speak of 
she was the one in the household who gave to the atmosphere a touch of sympathy tenderness and romance which was of priceless value as my mind expanded we even talked a little poetic philosophy together and discussed tennyson and shakespeare my younger brother alfred who was my schoolfellow at the lycee at versailles went to the brighton college with me i joining for the second time when the family returned to brighton in eighteen fifty eight but at an early age fourteen he joined the navy and after a preliminary year on board the britannia training ship went away to sea consequently he was not so much at home during those early years the sea life suited him i think with a rather daredevil temperament as a boy he was always getting into scrapes at school once i remember he had the brilliant idea of lighting a fire in his locker in the schoolroom and then sitting all innocence on the seat until the crackling of sticks and the curling smoke drew all eyes that way and he was discovered like a phoenix in apparent peril of being consumed in the navy at an early period he distinguished himself by saving life under risky circumstances in one case a man had fallen overboard at night in the tagus from another ship and in the darkness was being swept by the current seawards past the warrior on which ship my brother was when the latter who was on deck at the time jumped in to the rescue at the same time calling to some of the blue jackets to man a boat and follow of course he and the drowning man were immediately lost to sight in the gloom and when the boat did get under way it was only by his distant shouts that its crew could be guided the two men had drifted half a mile or more before they were picked up but it was not too late and their rescue was safely effected in another case off the falkland islands he swam to the rescue of an ordinary seaman under even more perilous conditions and for this act gained the albert medal which may be called the victoria cross of life-saving medals at a later period eighteen seventy five seventy six my brother alfred was lieutenant on board his majesty's ship challenger and it was under his management that the deepest sounding effected up to that period was taken he obtained four thousand four hundred and seventy-five fathoms or nearly twenty-seven thousand feet in the vicinity of the ladrone islands after the challenger he had several commands in china and elsewhere including charge of the marine survey of india and as commander of the investigator he spent several years surveying and making charts of the coasts of india and the adaman islands in eighteen eighty five in connection with the burmese expedition against king Thibaw, the important duty was assigned to him of leading the war flotilla up the river irrawaddy as an officer he was well liked being considerate of the men under him but firm in their management and in moments of danger plucky and reliable such roughly summed together are the main outlines of my early days full after all of tenderest recollections
a large family is a roughish training school but it is a valuable one oversensitive and of a clinging disposition by nature i early learned the profound lessons of suffering and of self-dependence my spirit concentrated itself and partially overcame its inherent vagueness and weakness in years of silence the tension of those early days the unexpressed hatred which i felt though i did not understand it for the social conditions in which i was born was destined when its meaning gradually realized itself in my consciousness to become one of the great directing forces of my after life End of chapter one